So then I went to Western States and now I'm in this super competitive field. And because I had some really great race results, and this is a, uh, this is a, a very high profile race, um, there's a lot of social media things. And, and I was profiled as one of the top competitors and everybody was like, oh, this Canadian girl is going to win. And I'm like, okay, no pressure. Right. And normally I don't let that kind of stuff affect me, but now I'm like, this is, I've discovered a new talent now and I, maybe I, maybe I can go and, and win this race or do really well. So I went out way too hard <laughs> and, and I suffered for it. And it was actually hotter that day than it was at Sinister Seven. So I went out too hard in extremely hot conditions and I fell apart at like, I don't know, mile, I don't even think I made it to mile 50 before I fell apart. And when you have 50 miles left to go and you've already hit the wall, it's an awful day. <laughs> it's one thing to do it in a marathon, but when you do it in a hundred miler, oh man, it's, I, I'll never make that mistake again. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jessen Beach, and we're here to shine a light on people who are looking, finding, and living their purpose. None of which means you have to make it your profession. It just means that we believe and have seen in over 200 plus shows that it's important to find what you love and do more of it. Our guest today found purpose in endurance sports at a very young age as she accompanied her Scottish mountaineer grandfather on many an adventure. Today, at the age of 40, Elsa McDonald is a Canadian ultra runner, Ironman triathlete, and Saucony athlete who is no stranger to course records, beating out the men's field to take the overall win at ultramarathons or qualifying for the Ironman World Championship. She won her first 100-miler outright and won her second Ironman. Was Ironman Santa Rosa 2019 your second Ironman? The second one that I won, yeah. The second one that you won. <laughs> nice, yeah. So she's won that outright as well. Uh, she's very successful at what many may say is not possible, balancing a training schedule that spans long-distance trail running and long-distance triathlon. And that totally intrigues us, and we want to dive into that. So we are excited to jump into this conversation, especially since we've heard some rumors about yoga and meditation. Elsa, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so... Um, we were introduced to you by one of our podcast guests, Laura Townsend, who I know you've done her race, the Survivor Fest race, which is on a track, an ultra marathon on a track. Um, and she was really funny. Our listeners who listened to it most likely heard this, that she was talking about you, talking about, um, you know, being an Ironman triathlete, crushing it, crushing it on the trails. And she was like getting all excited about you. And then she says... Well, enough about Elsa. Let's talk about me. And I just knew in that moment, like, we got to hunt you down and get you on the show. So thank you, Laura, if you're listening. Um, we're here now with Elsa and psyched to, uh, psyched to dive in. So I think you did her race, what, in 2019? Uh, 2018, I think it was. Had you done an ultra on a track before? No, I hadn't. So how was that? First impressions? Uh, it, it was actually, I was using it as a training run for Western States. Um, so normally leading into a hundred miler, I'll do a weekend where I do um, like a, about an 80K run on the Saturday. And then the next day I'll do um, a, a tempo run. And then the evening I'll do a, a trail run. And that would be like my um, final big 
training block going into a, a hundred miler. And I had only learned about Survivor Fest probably about a week before I was um, before I did it, and uh, it just kind of lined up with that perfect right lined up perfectly with that weekend where I was doing that that training block, and I had a whole bunch of friends that were doing it, so I thought oh, what a perfect way to do my long, slow run. I could just jump in with all my friends and run around a track for hours. It's super easy to crew for my husband. So I just, I didn't really go into it to race it. I went in just to have fun and, and use it as a, a training day. So, but it, it was, it was a good experience. It, it was, um, it was interesting because I had always said, oh, I'll never do a track run. That would, that would seem so boring. But uh, what I found was that I could just let my mind uh, go at ease and, and you really don't have to think about anything. You just run around in a circle all day. And, and it, it was like very, um, uh, it was, it was very good for the mind. I thought I had a very clear mind all day and, um, good, really good mental training. So, uh, it was funny cause you do the first three hours, you would go one direction and that, then the next three hours you go the other direction <laughs> and that one change just felt so huge after running in the same direction for three hours and just being in this zone and then all of a sudden it's like okay now you have to turn around it's like oh, I had to turn around and now I gotta like get in that zone again and it, it took a while so it was I was really surprised at that aspect of it yeah the um you know, it's it's very de-exciting for the mind, right? Like I'm thinking about this from a meditative standpoint. Like, you know, people, a lot of people say like, you know, running is meditation and moving meditation, absolutely. But when I think about trail running, I was actually out on the trail, I think a couple of days ago. And I was like, you really need to be, my eyes were like everywhere, like rattlesnakes, roots, rocks, you know, corners, uneven ground. Like I, it's constantly, it's it's like the mind is on alert for you know, things that are coming your way. There's also a flow that you can fall in with that, I think, where um, where it can be really peaceful. But when I think about a track, like, it really is, like, de-exciting the mind. So when you got the chance to turn around, it's like the mind's just, like, hanging on to this big celebration, like, feels like a big deal. I never thought about it that way. <laughs> how many times? How many times around the track was it, do you know? Were you counting? Oh, how do they count? Like, how do they... Oh, well, I thankfully they count for meters. you because there's no way I'd be able to, to keep count. <laughs> and you don't wear a watch, right? Or did you wear a watch? Um, I did that day just because, um, just because I was using it as a training day. But normally yeah. when I, if I was to race a marathon or something like that, I wouldn't wear a watch. I do wear a watch when I run on the trail though, because um, I like to know where I am from my next aid station. So I think it's pretty important in, in that. But when I'm, when I'm running on the road, I never wear a watch. I do in training, but not in racing. All right, let's. Uh, I want to dive in a little bit to your background because uh, it wasn't just your gramp, as you call him, as I've heard you call him, who is an athlete in your family. Like your your mom's pretty legit, uh, and I don't <laughs> yes, know about your dad or or the history there, but it seems like you've got some sisters that are super active. So, tell us a little bit about that upbringing that you were born into. Oh, definitely an active family. Um, when I was young, we were always out with my parents, biking, skiing stuff like that. Um, spent a lot of time with my grandfather, like I mentioned, like you heard, um, in the mountains in Scotland. So we were always doing, um, he was an endurance athlete as well. So like to do like multi-day backpacking trips. And, um, I remember when I was 14, we loaded up all of our gear onto our bikes and we biked 150 
kilometers back into the back country and <laughs> and pitched the tent for the weekend you know and this is when all my friends were out you know partying on the weekends and stuff and here I am biking halfway across the province to to sleep in a tent in the middle of the woods um so I think that's definitely where my endurance stemmed from um my mom as well uh she was always active. She never actually started running until she was in her forties. Um, she actually got into it when I got into triathlon, she started coming to some of my races and then, um, she would, she would join, like go out for a run while I was racing. And then she joined a run club and she decided she was going to run. Um, she got up to a half marathon distance. So she actually ran her half marathon the same day, her first half marathon, the same day that I ran my first marathon. And it was the same event. So we got to experience our two firsts together. So that was pretty cool. And uh, she always said, you know, I'm, I'm never going to, I'm never going to run a marathon. Like that's just crazy. And I kind of convinced her to run one, just run one marathon, qualify for Boston, and then we'll run Boston together. So she did, she ran her first marathon and she did incredibly well. Um, won her age group or one, she won her age group and set the course record for it. I think she ran like a 330 or something like that. And she she was very quite high overall in her placement. I can't remember exactly where it was. And uh, so we got to do Boston together in 2016. And she did. And she didn't she like PR her marathon at Boston? Like she crushed it. She did. Uh, she ran a 320 and she was second in her age group. <laughs> That's and insane. So she got, yeah. <laughs> at what yeah. age? At what age? She would have been 60... 59 or six, no, 60 that year. So that, and that's, that's still like, you know, I was thinking like, okay, she started running at 40, right? So she didn't have all those years with running on her body, but she still had 20 years under her belt when she ran that first marathon. Like she still mm-hmm. had time on the legs. Um, oh, yeah. that's amazing. Did you coach her, uh, for that or how did, uh, how did I, I did, I do, I do my run, I do my mom's run programs. <laughs> That's on. Is there any pushback? Have you had any pushback because she's your mom and you're telling her what to do? <laughs> no, I think she likes it actually, and she she texts me till this day asking for advice on on running. It's kind of fun. I like it. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your grandpa because he just seems like a really cool dude, and I'm going to make an assumption that he imparted some maybe some wisdom on you in those early days. I don't know. I'm making this assumption. I'm thinking, you know, all that time together in the back country, was there anything that he, uh, gave you that has been something that you've used in your life as a guide? I think definitely the mental toughness came out of those years because <laughs> he never let me quit. He, he was always very encouraging and, um, there was always these little rewards um, when I remember there was this big hill close to our house and we used to, him and I would go out and try and ride our bikes up it, but it was so steep that the tires would start slipping. So he told me that, okay, the first person up the hill, um, gets 20 bucks. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know, probably 12 or 13 at the time. So that was, that was a lot of money back then. So I'm like, I'm going to make it up this hill. And so sure enough, one day we're trying to get up this hill and grandpa's tires started slipping and I was able to, I did, I still had some traction. So I managed to whip by him and I made it to the top of the hill. So I got my 20 bucks. So, <laughs> but he was, he was always like, 
he always came to my sports, um, my high school sports games, like soccer games, basketball games. Like he was always there for every event I was in and he was always very interested in what I was doing. And now that I'm into ultra running, he's super interested into that. So yeah. And I think like those long trips in the backcountry when you're young and you're carrying a heavy pack and you're out in the backcountry for days at a time, like there's, there's a lot of mental toughness built there. And I, I think that's definitely where that stems from. Yeah. And being in that environment, I can imagine you guys camped out overnight. So you were probably looking up at the stars, being hearing odd noises and being in an unknown, unfamiliar environment at first. And did you have, could you remember any fear that you experienced and was able to, to kind of get through it? Um, I would spend my summers in Scotland with him. And that's where I did most of this backcountry hiking. And we were doing a five-day hike in the Grew in the Cairngorms there and um we hiked up the first day we hiked to a summit and then we were supposed to drop back down into the valley to pitch the tent for the night and then you just you kind of carry on down the valley and you're you're going up different peaks throughout the whole five days and on the first night we made it to the summit and the snowstorm rolled in and we lost visibility and this is like we were navigating by map and compass so um didn't know exactly where the route down was and because we couldn't see we knew that there well grandpa knew that there was like a really steep cliff and uh i mean i was a little bit scared but at the same time i had so much faith in in his abilities that i knew i was going to be okay um so he said okay i don't i don't feel safe coming off this mountain tonight because i don't know where the cliff is so we're pitching a tent in the snow <laughs> and the mountain was called ben mcdewey and there's um there's an old story of uh, the old man of Ben McDewey, which is this ghost that haunts the summit of this mountain. So grandpa had told me all these ghost stories. And I'm like, oh gosh, we're going to get, we're going to get this ghost to haunting us in the middle of the night in this snowstorm. And <laughs> <laughs> that would freak me out for sure. <laughs> it was pretty freaky. <laughs> but when you're with somebody who's so schooled, you know, like you just have that. And I'm sure he was calm. Like he wasn't freaking out just like this is the decision this is the decision that we have to make and this is the circumstance and now we we move forward with that circumstance and so yeah. I would think that a mindset like that is helpful in racing right like okay here's the circumstance uh this is and now we're going to move forward from this when you know a lot of athletes will get caught up in um, you know, temperatures, uh, weather, um, you know, going off, uh, going off course. And do you feel like you grew up with this ability to pivot? A hundred percent. I, I definitely see that now that I've gotten into trail running. Um, I feel like I'm very good at changing to, uh, adapting to changing conditions. Um, because it, it, your race day is never going to be perfect over a hundred miles. I mean, you're talking 18, 24 hours, like it's a, it's a long time and there's so many things that can get thrown at you. It's not just about going out there and putting one foot in front of the other. It's, you know, you're, you've got a fuel, you've got the weather conditions, you've got the elevation and, um, terrain and chafing and <laughs> comfort. And, you know, there's so many things that can, that can just, um, that can become a problem that you just need to, to be able to stay calm and react and adapt to those conditions. How do you, we like to like pull on that. How do you get calm? Like if chafing is like just unbearably 
just consuming all your attention. How does how do you how do you work through it? How do you actually like beam down into that moment and not attach to that sensation, I guess? Or is it a process? I I think it's a, a a process I've built that mentality over the years of, of doing what I do. I don't, um, I, I don't ever remember a situation where I have stressed in a race. I mean, yeah, I've gotten chafed. I've gotten, um, in situations where I was like, Oh shit, like this is going to set me back a bit, but you just have to accept that, that you have to go down. You have to go a little bit slower. You have to, um, you have to endure a little bit of discomfort. <laughs> so you, you just deal with it. <laughs> Do you have any techniques that you use breathing or like to get calm if it gets chaotic? I just focusing like, um, I find the trails are very calming because you're always kind of focusing on your footing. So there's really not much time to, to, um, to let your mind get too stressed. And I, I, I feel like in hundred milers, I mean, I'm, I'm spending most of the day alone. I hardly see anybody when I'm out there except for like aid stations and, um, I feel like that solitude gives me calmness. Mm. How were you, were you, were you able to pivot, I guess, in the grand scheme with everything that happened last year with races getting canceled? Although you did get a nice little collection of races in there. Um, you did a couple of races at the beginning of 2020 and then um, you did a smaller uh, trail race, I think like in August, uh, I saw. Um, but with that being, you know, what you do and what you love and what is your lifestyle, how did that, how did you pivot last year? Well, I mean, COVID definitely threw a wrench into my plans. Um, I was supposed to do Western States. I, I had, like you said, I, I got a couple of really great races in before um, the pandemic and the lockdown happened. So I went to Bandera in Texas and won the 100K there, which gave me a golden ticket to Western States. So my main goal last year was Western States. Um, and of course, that got canceled. Um, and I followed that up with a win at Terraware 100 Miler. Um, we did a trip to New Zealand, and it was right after that trip that the lockdown happened. So at the time, um, we were actually in Arizona because uh, we snowbird down there. And I had taken a part-time position at work for the next two years to focus on training and racing because <laughs> I thought, oh, I'm in my prime years. I want to put my heart and soul into this right now. And so my work gave me the opportunity to do that. And um, so I was, oh, excuse me, I was supposed to be down in Arizona for three months uh, just doing nothing but training. And then of course I was planning on going on to racing after that, like Western States and uh, racing throughout the summer. So obviously we came home early from, uh, Arizona. And the one good thing that happened just before COVID is we made a move from, uh, just outside of Edmonton and we now live in Cochrane, which is in the Rocky mountains. So I have been, I, so I was doing a lot more trail running um, and a lot more adventures because we're like 45 minutes to any trailhead. So um, I just started running a trail, doing lots of trail running and lots of uh, lots of vert and lots of long days in the mountains. And I met 
an incredibly great community of runners and some really strong runners too, who have helped me come a long way in, in my abilities. So in that respect, um, it's, it's been an advantage. Uh, so last year when there was no, uh, when there was no races, I got into doing FKTs. So there was a whole bunch of them in, in the Bow Valley region that I was able to tackle by the end of the summer. So <laughs> once I got into that, I was just chasing them one after the other and went really hard <laughs> for, you know, four or five weeks and uh, kind of went into burnout mode. Um, that what I have found about COVID is I'm not taking any breaks. So my, I have lost all structure in my training, but I don't want to miss an adventure now. So it's like, yeah, I've been going hard for the last six weeks, but there's a bunch of trail runners going out this weekend and I don't want to miss it. So, <laughs> so I end up like never taking any rest days. And, uh, it's, you know, normally when you're racing, it's like you have that taper period and then you have the couple of weeks after the race where you're pretty wrecked and you don't do anything. And, and usually my, my races come with travel. So it's super easy to just kick your feet up after a race and actually rest, but I haven't been doing that. So <laughs> how many FKTs did you manage to snag? Uh, I took nine last summer in about a span of six weeks, I think. And then I did, I set another two over the winter. So could that be uh, a replacement for racing for you? Do you feel, or do you still love that vibe of the race? I don't think it's an equal replacement. Um, it's, they're fun to do. Um, obviously you don't have the competition there with you. So, um, I really miss that. I, I miss the finish line feels. I miss the racing atmosphere. I miss the people at the aid station and the volunteers. Like, I miss the lifestyle. Yeah. What's your, because you're in Canada now, um, what's the situation up there as far as you being able to do any kind of travel? Undetermined. Like, I'm not vaccinated yet. Um, even our provincial borders are closed right now, so we can't even leave our province, really. So it's been really tough. Yeah. Um, so when it gets tough like that, like, you know, you do what you love. You're obviously doing the right thing. You're, you're amazing. Your results, like, just to go look at your results, it's just, it's so impressive. But we can't always, we're not always going to be living our life where it's all going our way. And, you know, it sounds like there's like a little, little bit of sadness in your voice when you say that, like you're, you know, you can't even leave the province right now. So what are some things that you do or to not to, not to not feel those things, but in the face of kind of feeling bummed and over it and disappointed, like what kind of keeps you, uh, ticking? Uh, well, last summer it was definitely the trail running and getting out and exploring uh, new terrain and, and new backcountry, being closer to the mountains. So I didn't really think about it last summer. And it wasn't until this fall we were into our second lockdown just before Christmas that I was like, this is getting really old. Like, I, I want to travel. I want to go back to Nova Scotia and see my grandfather and my mom and my family. And, um, you know, never mind racing. I want to see my family. I, I my stepdaughter lives in Australia. So thankfully she came to New Zealand with us last year. So she was actually the last person that we saw, but my in-laws are in Newfoundland. And, um, so that's, that's really sad. And then, but at, at home, like I, we're really well set up at home with a home gym. So I have, you know, 
uh, Zwift has been a lifesaver since COVID because I can still train with my like groups of people, even though you're not allowed to be in a group of people. So that's been really fun. Um, and it's nice having the home gym because all the gyms are closed right now. What I have found it really challenging is um, I work in camp. I have a camp, like I work in the oil field and I live in, at camp while I'm working. So it's two weeks on, two weeks off and the gyms are closed in camp. So <laughs> we can run outside, but all, all winter it's, you know, hovering minus 30, minus 40. It's, it's, you know, we have like a 400 meter track around a parking lot kind of thing. And it's, you know, it's not the most ideal, but at least it's something. But so that's, that's been really challenging. I took a bike up there with a trainer so I can do that in my room. And I have a couple of free weights, so I'm getting by, but it's definitely not what it was. I mean, I had a good group of friends at work that we would hit the gym and um, do workouts together and stuff. And that kept me motivated. So motivation at work has definitely gone downhill a bit. And it's taken a little bit of extra effort to to keep myself fit when I'm up there. Um, now that it's summer here, I mean, I'm getting out in the, tra- I've been out in the trails all, all winter, which has been great. Um, but these last couple of weeks, we just, like I said, moved into a new house and, uh, we were living in a town home and we were finding it a little bit too cramped. So now we have a bigger space and, um, the house has been a really good, a good distraction this week. I've actually taken a break from training, <laughs> which has been long overdue. <laughs> so I, I haven't. I have an exercise in like two weeks probably um, other than like lifting boxes and, you know, moving is a lot of, a lot of work in itself, but um, I haven't really missed it because it's like, I'm super busy and, and it's new and exciting to be in the new house. And um, so it's, it's been a good change in that respect. And I am looking forward to um, doing some of the projects that we have at home and getting our gym set up. And um, so we have that to distract us right now, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing the back end of COVID for sure. Yeah. Well, when you said that when you work and it's 10 days on 10 day, 10 days off and the gyms were closed, I thought like, Oh, maybe this is the break from training from all the FKTs. Like, <laughs> but I brought my bike up there and my bike trainer and I'm running around a track in a parking lot. So the move, the yeah. move has given you a few yeah, weeks no. off. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, I asked you that question because it's like, I don't know, you know, it, sometimes it just, it's like, it is It is kind of like, all right, this thing's hanging around, um, but what, what can I do? What can I be grateful for? And I'm just going to kind of like that night that you had to pitch the tent on the top of the mountain. It's like, okay, this is what we need to do. How can we keep moving forward? And I think it's an important message because I, I don't... Um, I know that a lot of people didn't fare well in the isolation and, you know, getting cut off from community. So um, just bringing in that, I appreciate you bringing in that piece for us to pull a thread on because it is tough. And I didn't realize that your province borders were closed. Um, but are in your new area, it sounds like you're close to trails. Are there any upcoming trails in your province, like in your like any trail runs or races or nothing yet? Uh, well, Sinister 7, which is the, the 100 miler, my first 100 miler that I did, it's supposed to go ahead and I am registered for that. So um, I'm really hoping that it does go. Yeah. So we'll see. 
Stay focused on, stay fo- we always say, stay focused Focus. on what you want, not on what you don't want, right? Like, but you can't yeah. get to, attached to it too, because then if it gets taken away, it's like, Ugh. but it's like, just keep moving forward, keep training, keep focusing on what you want. Um, yeah. So you're self, are you still self-coached? Yes. Okay. So you're oh, self-coached. Yeah. Motivation's been a little bit low. Um, <laughs> who, do you, who do you look to for guidance? Who, yeah. yeah. Who's like your... Uh, do you have you a mentor or somebody that has an objective opinion for you? I, I mean, not not any one particular person. I mean, I, I take training tips from uh, pretty much everybody I hang out with. So <laughs> I think everybody contributes to that. Yeah. I mean, I think your self-coaching is very successful. Um, I yeah, I mean, I think you got some <laughs> some guidance early on in your life of you know not not giving up. Um, but what has been an obstacle to self coaching, if any? Um, I don't know. I, I've just I've kind of enjoyed being self coached. Actually, um, I have a very unique work schedule, um, and I like to remain really flexible in my training plans because of that work schedule. You know, I, I work shift work and. Um, I work away and I have my resources for training change from when I'm at work and when I'm home. So it's nice to be able to, it would be difficult for a coach to understand what my work life is like and to be able to build a program for me that would, that I could actually do at work. So um, I've kind of just enjoyed it because I, I just like the, the freedom and I like to do things because I love them, not because I feel like I have to. Yeah. So it's kind of, is it like a day-to-day thing as far as um, like, you, do you have kind of an idea of what needs to get done, but then it's a day-to-day um, decision about what actually the workout will be? I usually lay out a plan for the week. So I have a, a, a training book and on the left-hand side, I write down um, what I intend to do. <laughs> and on the right-hand side, I write down what I actually did. <laughs> so I usually, um, depending on what I'm training for, um, I usually build some sort of a, a program leading up to it. So if I'm training for a marathon, usually it's like a 16 week program. And of course there's going to be like speed work and tempo work and long runs and everything in, in that. And then, um, I kind of kept the same structure going into ultra running where I just, and the only difference being I threw in that one long training block weekend where I did like the long run and the, the temple run and the trail run all in, in a 24 or two day period. Um, that's really the only thing I did differently. Um, this year has been a mess. Uh, there hasn't been any structure since COVID really in my running. I mean, um, just because at work that there's no treadmill access. So it was really difficult to do speed work. Um, and at home, (laughs) I I kept uh I kept missing my speed work to hit the trails. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm not very fast right now. So if I had to run like a marathon or or anything on the road, I I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't be anywhere near my times I used to be, but I am very strong on the trails right now. <laughs> what's your relationship to cuz I love this. What's your relationship to um paces, heart rate, um speed versus just the overall feel you you get from 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 feeling that intensity and pace. Like, do you use a watch? Do you train specifically with distance and pace and speed? Yeah, um, I I always have like if I'm if I'm doing structured training, I'll, I'll it'll be by pace, and I always watch my heart rate. And I had it so dialed in when I was 
doing lots of structure, <laughs> that I could kind of go by effort and without even looking at my watch, know what my pace was. So I can, I, I, I kind of know what those paces feel like heart rate wise and effort wise. And then when you race, you don't wear a watch, you just feel. Correct. And how, like that takes a lot of trust. I find that if I'm, if I'm racing on the road, um, especially like the half marathon and marathon distance, they're, they're so intense that you don't need any added stress. So I've always just found it. I could, I could run better. I run better when I'm more relaxed. So I figure if I check the watch, I'm not constantly focusing on my pace because if you're, if you're having a rough day and you look down and you see that you're much slower pace wise than you want to be, you're going to stress a little and you're probably going to slow down a little because of that stress. So I just thought if you don't have the watch and you're just going by feel, you might run better. I think you will run. <laughs> I think you will run better. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I found too. I started racing without a, a watch a few, um, a few years ago in, in Ironman and, um, and it was free. It was, uh, it, but, but it also kept me honest to, to be in that moment of noticing when I'm, I'm trying to go a, a little bit above what my, what my, effort should be like understand getting caught up in the momentum of the race. And I'm talking about Ironman, um, probably Ironman here. Um, but then knowing that I'm not constricted, you know, there isn't this like hard limit, you know, I can, I can be free to run faster if I feel like running faster, taking that autonomy. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. And I, I find too, especially on the bike, um, that, uh, computer is, is a huge stressor because it's another piece of equipment that you have to deal with and get, get going. And, you know, it, it takes extra time to get that set up and get it, um, you know, your GPS signal and all that to, to get on the bike and start moving. So I was like, why do I want to deal with that? I just want to jump on my bike and go. And it was actually my first Ironman that I did that I kind of discovered how calm I could be without a, a watch is because my computer fell off my bike. And I had no, I had nothing but the mileage markers on the course to gauge where I was. And I, I didn't stress about time or anything. I just thought, okay, I know I have to be in like a lower heart rate zone because this is going to be a long day and I have to be able to maintain it. And I think it, it held me back enough that I could last all day and have a really good race. Yeah, that's so, it's so powerful um, because a lot of us train and, you know, I coach a bunch of athletes and, and I notice like the first thing I'll do when they get to the pool, because I don't like the watch in the pool, is like, take off your watch in the pool. We're going to go by feel and we're going to use the, the clock on, on, on the wall. And, you know, you feel the resistance. Um, but as things begin to progress, like they start to understand, like they can feel what it's like to swim hard what it feels like to be forced to swim slow even though as uncomfortable as that is and it, but but that's what's allowing them to swim faster so if we don't have this um if we don't have this uh self-regulation right this ability to say like well i i don't have a watch don't have a bike computer i'm gonna have to 
find my way through this. If you can't embrace that, you're going to be constantly in resistance mode and burning, burning up energy that you uh, so dearly need when you do these endurance races. So yeah, that's so pivotal. It's such a good example when you actually lose your bike computer, uh, (laughs) you have no choice but to just bike. Because what's the alternative? The alternative is a stop, is to go look for it, is to freak out about how you know, mm-hmm. how, what pace am I supposed to go at? How many miles left? And all sorts of catastrophic uh, thoughts enter the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Mindset's I think that happened, there. didn't that happen to you, BJ, in Lake Placid? Like, I think he was toying with this idea of like not wearing a watch or not having data and information during the race. And then like your bike computer. computer didn't work and then your watch never hooked up to GPS. So you had no, <laughs> so it was like, basically you gave yourself forced, the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you not go out too hard or have you learned from going out too hard? Because that's what, like, so many people go out too hard. And um, how have you learned that? I the hard way, like everyone else. <laughs> but I think that's such a sustainable way to learn it. I really do. Like when you do something, yeah. I, I did my first half Ironman in shoes that were too small. I will never do that again. I will never do that again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, the, my second 100 miler was Western States. So I did Sinister 7 and going into Sinister 7, I was like, okay, I know this is going to be a long day. And my only goal is to finish. So I'm going to and it ended up being a super hot day. I think it was like 37 degrees it hit. And um, that, like people were dropping like flies because of the heat. Um, so going into this race, I thought, okay, my first 100 miler, it's super hot out. Um, I'm going to have to really slow down my pace in order to finish this race. But I don't care because I just want to cross the finish line. This is, a new, this is new territory for me. Finishing this race would be a, a check in the box. So I wasn't going out to win. I was going out to finish. Um, and because I executed such a perfect starting strategy, I had an excellent day and I, I, um, I felt good all day and I managed the heat. Um, and I, I was able to maintain that moving forward the whole hundred miles. So then I went to Western States and now I'm in this super competitive field. And because I had some really great race results, and this is a uh, this is a a very high profile race. Um, there's a lot of social media things, and and I was profiled as one of the top competitors. And everybody was like, "Oh, this Canadian girl's gonna win!" And I'm like, "Okay, no pressure, right?" And normally I don't let that kind of stuff affect me, but now I'm like, "This is I've discovered a new talent now, and I maybe I maybe I can go and and win this race or do really well." So I went out way too hard. <laughs> And, and I suffered for it. And it was actually hotter that day than it was at Sinister 7. So I went out too hard in extremely hot conditions. And I fell apart at like, I don't know, mile... I don't even think I made it to mile 50 before I fell apart. And when you have 50 miles left to go and you've already hit the wall, it's an awful day. <laughs> it's one thing to do it in a marathon, but when you do it in a 100 miler, oh man, it's... <laughs> I, I'll never make that mistake again. <laughs> did you finish? Yeah, I did. Yeah, of course you did, because you learned that early on in your life. You don't give up. Yeah. You, you hit a yeah, wall at I 50, pulled. you keep going. <laughs> I remember the exact moment that my legs started to fall apart. I mean, there was a, you do the escarpment, then you come down this, it, it's about 27 kilometers of descent. 
And at the time I was a terrible downhill runner and I had gone out too hard. So I was already fatigued. And then halfway down this hill, I'm like, my legs are sore. Like my leg muscles actually hurt. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do the rest of the 60 miles I have left or 70 miles I had left. So I, I pulled into the aid station where, or the, my crew. And I said to my husband, I'm like, it's going to be a long day. So prepare yourself. <laughs> so I'm warning him that he's going to have a long day. Mine's going to be even longer because I'm the one that has to run it. He just has to drive it. But, um, but yeah, it just kept moving forward. And there was a lot of walking for that last half, but I was not, I was not quitting. <laughs> I'm too stubborn to quit. So tell us about the aftermath of that. So you get to the finish line, which is like, oh my God, thank God you're at the finish line. But how do you move? How did you take that and say, okay, here's what happened. Here's what I did. And use that to your advantage moving forward. Uh, well, I felt like crap for about a week afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because I had gone out too hard, my digestive system went to crap and I wasn't able to take in any, barely even any fluids for the last half of the race. So I was really destroyed. <laughs> so not only was my body wrecked, my pride was wrecked for having done such a, made such a stupid mistake because I went from running Sinister 7, doing absolutely everything right, mm. to Western States where I did everything wrong. <laughs> So it took a week for that to all like, I love that to sink in and, and kind of hid for a while, kind of a little bit embarrassed. And, and, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to take everything that I did in that race wrong. And I'm going to remember those lessons when I did Ironman Canada, which was four weeks later. So four weeks later, I'm about a week after, you know, Western States, I came out of my shell and I, I started training again and, and getting my digestive system back and starting to feel like a normal human being. And uh, I went into uh, Ironman Canada and it was 37 degrees <laughs> again. And it's also a really hilly course. So I said, okay, I need to pace myself and manage the heat. So that's what I did. I, um, I can't start off fast in Ironman anyway because I can't swim. So it, it's kind of automatically holds me back. But I'm, I'm strong on the bike and I, I do pass a lot of people on the bike. So I, I get a little bit competitive. Once I'm on the bike, I start passing people and I'm like, okay, go harder, go harder, pass all these people. But I'm like, no, slow down. Like, it doesn't matter if you don't pass her now, you might pass her later, right? So, so I got into a good groove on the bike and I kept my heart rate low and um, got out on the run and same thing, kept my pace low enough that I could manage because it was a very exposed course. So you're in the hot sunshine. At this point, it was like the heat of the day. And uh, again, people were dropping like flies. I think it was the biggest, um, the most DNFs they had ever had in, in Ironman Canada. Um, and I started to close the gap on the lead women. So Whistler Ironman is a three loop run course. So I, I saw my husband lots on the course and he's like, he's on the tracker because um, the way they stagger the swims now for Ironman, I start like, I'm out of the water. I start like 10 minutes back from the start because I'm so slow. <laughs> so my position on the course is not my actual position in the race. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's it all goes by chip time. So 
my husband's watching the tracker, realizing that I'm closing the gap on the lead woman who is like a couple kilometers ahead of me on the run because she started the swim at the start, like as soon as the gun went off. So he saw me on the last loop and he said, you can close the gap and beat her. You have to hammer down for the last couple K. <laughs> He's like, but you got this. So I'm like, okay, I, I don't see her anywhere in my sight, but okay, I'll hammer down. So that girl actually crossed the finish line first and I, and she celebrated the win and then I crossed and the tracker updated and I actually beat her by 60 seconds and knocked her off the podium, which is horrible. It's a horrible way to win, <laughs> but still it was really exciting at the same time. Cause I, I like executed all of those, um, race, uh, you know, that, that perfect race that I, I learned all those, those lessons at Western States that I was able to apply there. And, and it, the result was perfect. Oh my God. Yeah. What a shot you were. you just like, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just a slow swimmer. <laughs> it, it, it does kind of suck that, you know, they, they do that, um, staggered swim start. Cause it, it does, it is misleading. Yeah. Did you ever the, did you ever get to participate in a mass swim start for an Ironman or no? Has it always been? Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Well, mostly half Ironmans. Most of the half Ironmans mm-hmm. I've done have been mass starts, and of Kona, I've done Kona twice, which is mass starts. Yeah, yeah. We 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 love the mass start when they had that, and this this definitely adds another element to it. And this is exactly, you know, the perfect like outcome to what happens with these staggered starts. I know they're, they're safer, but it leaves a lot more up to, you know, going, running the race that you're supposed to race, have self-regulation, go hard. Don't work. Don't look at yeah. the numbers on the people's legs of what their age group is like, go race, like go race for yourself. Um, yeah, that, that takes a lot of patience that day. It just sounds, and I'm leading into St. George right now, 70.3. And it's supposed to be like, super, super hot. And it's like the first race a lot of people are coming back to. So I, I'm going to steal that philosophy, like just self-regulation, right? Like don't go out too hot. It's going to be a long day. It's going to be, the conditions are a little bit more extreme. You're going to have to dial in nutrition, hydration a little bit more. You're going to have to dial back any preconceived, um, notion of what time you're going to have just because of the elements, the elements alone. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I did that race in uh, 2018. I oh, think. Oh, you did. Love that course. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And of course, it was it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's so what so Whistler that day was 37 degrees Celsius. What is that? It's probably like 85, 90, maybe. Yeah, I think um, St. George is going to be in the 90s, but you know, it's that's what it it's is, hot. and you move forward from there. Yeah. You know, um, so. Ironman, let's, uh, we've talked a little bit about trail running, but Ironman, how did you get into, trail running was first, you started trail running, and, oh, no. uh, triathlon was first. was first. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. How did you get yeah. into triathlon? Uh, so when I finished high school, um, and there was no sports to play anymore, I was still super active, and I was running, and I used to bike a lot anyway, and one of my friends was doing a triathlon and uh, I thought, well, that sounds like fun. I don't know how to swim, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> so I signed up for this Olympic distance triathlon, and uh, it was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it. So um, I just kind of carried on with the, the Ironman 
stuff or sorry the the Olympic distance triathlon for quite a few years and um I actually did mostly triathlon um for I was probably like 21 when I got into triathlon and I didn't really start running race like road running until like my late 20s and then I got into marathon running and then the marathon kind of led to the Ironman eventually. Well, the half Ironman first and then the Ironman. <laughs> and then uh, I focused on the Ironman for um, quite a few years. And it was actually my first Ironman where I realized that I had a talent for endurance events. Um, so from there, I thought, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll branch into some longer distance running, like trail running and and so i i signed up for my first 100k and then the 100 miler and <laughs> i love the um i love that you're doing both so i came to trail running from um uh, from triathlon as well and um they're two very different communities but in their essence i think that um there's so much support and and i love both communities but when I first got on the trail, I heard like rumblings about, you know, the triathlon community is this and that and the other thing. And I personally love being in the trail running community and I love being in the triathlon community as well. And I'm seeing a lot more crossover. But when you went from Ironman to trail running, what was your impression of that community or the differences or the similarities? I found it really relaxing. Um, the, the trail running community because they're they're super low key, um, I, they tend to be more um, I guess introverts or, or less uh, not I don't want to say less social because they're still social but um, they they enjoy nature more maybe being alone out in the bush kind of thing so uh, a little hippieish maybe like you know um, roughing it they like to rough it. And they can, um, whereas triathlon, like Ironman, like you need a lot of money for a triathlon because it's a lot of equipment and you get into some really high end bikes and stuff. So you do tend to meet people that are maybe a little bit more snobbish, not everybody I'm saying, but more so than you would in the trail running community I have found. So, but I do, I love both. Um, I love the atmosphere of, of being at a triathlon. I love the people I've met along the way and same with the, the trail running community. It's, they're both great. Yeah. I mean, it's so like, we'll be in St. George this weekend and I'm not racing, but I mean, there's going to be bags for run gear and da da da. And it's a big <laughs> show. Stuff, yeah. It's a big show. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's so fun. I love that. But I love just like lacing up my shoes and, you know, uh, getting out on the trail and getting dirty and, you know, hopefully not too bloody, but that's, that's fine too. And yeah, there is that. I like how you describe that because I, a lot of the trail runners that I know are maybe a little bit more like, I, I like being alone. Like I just, I don't mind being on the yeah. trail for, for I, th hours. I think like exactly what you described there about the, the, um, like when you go to pick up your race packages and stuff at an Ironman, it's a, it's a shopping center. Like, and it's, there's loud music playing and there's people everywhere sporting the Ironman badge and, and all the fancy gear and everything. And, and with the trail, if you, when you go to, um, package pickup, it's like a table. <laughs> there's no fancy gear. You get a bib and, you know, maybe a sticker. <laughs> but yeah. if you, it's like comparing like a, a dance bar to a pub 
I yeah, guess. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. But I love both. I'm excited to I love be... both. I I love um I love the coverage of um that they can bring into oh. the the sport of triathlon, but you know what what opened my eyes was uh one one um one uh, coverage I saw of the UTMB, um, someone had a GoPro and they're just like, it was following them for like almost the whole course. You could see him coming into the village and that just blew me away. Um, oh yeah. So yeah. the comparisons in the coverage are definitely getting, um, getting more consistent. I would say like the trail community, I, I love their stuff. Like a lot of people are doing more YouTube channels and, um, and I don't know if you watch that stuff, but it really gets you like, it puts you in the place of being on a trail alone. Oh, for, for sure. And and feeling the not not the hype, but like the silence, the stillness, the footsteps, yeah. the darkness. Yeah. yeah. I I did uh, CCC at UTMB in 2019, and I I watched like every YouTube video I could find, and it does it gives you a good feel for the trail and and um, what you can experience when you're out there, but the coverage is great. I don't know if you are familiar with the black Canyon hundred K. Yes. Very much. Mm -hmm. The coverage for that this year was unreal. Yeah. We watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was so cool. Yeah. They, uh, Aravipa running is, they do that race. Yeah. They do that race. Um, that one's on my list for sure. Um, haven't done it yet, but I've known some friends that have done it. That looks like it's great. Way. I've done it. I've done it twice actually, but I've only done the actual course once because the first year I did it, it was rerouted. Oh, so, but um, it's a fantastic event. So I want to talk as we're starting to come to our hour here. Um, I had heard you say on a podcast that you did some yoga and meditation. Are you still doing those practices? Yeah, probably definitely during COVID too. I found it really helpful. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really miss hot yoga. <laughs> oh my God, girl, so do we, so do we. <laughs> oh, after like a, a long run going in and just sweating and oh, amazing. Yeah, well, especially in Canada where it's so cold up here. It was oh, yeah. so nice to, to go to hot yoga. And But um, I'm, I am still doing yoga um, at home in my little home gym. And uh, I do it at work in, in my camp room and um, you know, I try and get in a few sessions a week because it is definitely helpful, especially in times like this that are really mentally challenging. Yeah, absolutely. For the, you know, for the body too. Um, what do you think yoga has offered you just as an athlete? And it could be a, a mental benefit. It doesn't have to be a physical benefit. Oh, mental for sure. I mean, it helps clear your mind and, and keep you calm and um, de-stress and um, carry on extra stress is definitely um whether it's mental or physical is, is, um, detrimental to your athletic abilities. So I, I definitely think there's a benefit there to yoga and also the stretching and keeping my body limber and injury free. Yeah. What about meditation? What has been your experience with that? I I don't really do long sessions of meditation. Um, a little bit that's incorporated within a yoga video I do, but I do, um, <laughs> I do like to do headstands at the end of my yoga sessions or stretch sessions. Um, so I find those very meditative, you know, like it, calming and finding balance. And so that, that's what I would consider a little bit of meditation, but I only do it for a few minutes, but I feel like that's even those few minutes, it, it, you still get a lot of benefit from it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a pose where it's like, you feel that balance point. And then you need to be in that balance point without a lot of interference about, you know, from the mind. And so it really is mm-hmm. just focusing on that, 
that feel of when you, when you nail that pose. And then when you do that, you can hold it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, um, what's next for you? Like what, uh, I know you've got Western States. I think that, that's happening this year, right? But you're doing um, it next year, right? Yeah, I've rolled my entry. So um, the race is going to go ahead, but they have allowed international runners to roll their entry if they weren't able to travel. So I chose to do that um, with the uncertainty of our, mm-hmm. our abilities to travel. By then, I, I just didn't think it was a good idea to commit. So Sinister 7 is my backup plan. And if that doesn't go ahead, then I'll chase a few more FKTs in the area. Um, I am registered for UTMB. I don't think that we'll be able to travel by the end of August, or I'm not sure what will happen with that race, but I'm kind of just preparing for anything that might happen this summer. And if it doesn't, well, that's okay too, you know, because I I have a mountain range in my backyard. Yeah. Uh, Also curious to know if you've been following um, James Lawrence, or do you know of the Iron Cowboy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you been? My husband's been following, so I get the updates from him. (laughs) So 100 full distance triathlons in a hundred days and he's on day 58. Does that shock you or does that intrigue you? I, I find it intriguing that somebody has that kind of mental and physical capacity to do that. Like back to back to back to back. Like that's, that's crazy. And, and the logistical nightmare behind organizing something like that too. (laughs) Like it's gotta be difficult, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. I yeah. think we're going to head up there after St. George, George and uh, go see him. Go do go One. do some activities. Some of them. <laughs> go do some activities with him. Um, hey, I have, I have one more question, which is actually going back to trail running. You had said when you were running that Western States that you weren't a great downhiller yet. And I know that downhilling is like a way where you can really get some time. What is like a tip or is it just experience? Like what is it about downhilling that, you know, separates the great downhillers from the ones that, you know, are still losing time? It's definitely experience. I think confidence is the number one thing when it comes to downhill running. Um, I became a very good downhill runner last summer um, when I hit the mountains and started running with uh, a bunch of uh, guys that were much stronger than me on the descents. And I just tried to like, I, so I would chase them obviously like trying to keep up with them and and still be able to see them. (laughs) But doing that, I, I realized how fast I could actually go and still stay upright. And, um, it definitely takes a lot more focus because, um, you know, and you need to really watch your footing when you're descending because you have that extra momentum from the, the gravitational pull. But um, I feel like it's definitely a confidence thing. Now now that I have the confidence in my abilities to run downhill, I, I, I'm i not putting the brakes on. Like a lot of people lean back and, and dig their heels in and, and actually slow themselves down. Um, I feel like I can just let my legs go now. I have the, the confidence to do that. Yeah, so time on the trail. Yep. No shortcut. No shortcut. <laughs> no shortcuts. No. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Elsa. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for you, whatever uh, it is, the great mystery, right? <laughs> but uh, Sinister Seven, we're going to put it all in for that. And uh, yeah, and to see you back at Iron Man again would be amazing. I love that you're doing both. I think it's so cool to bridge the mm -hmm. those communities that are so different. It's like, you know, going from the Oscars to, you know, a high school play, but it's... <laughs> That's a good it's super fun. I, I love it. And so I love to hear when people are dabbling in both. Um, yeah, thanks again for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me and have a great time in St. George. Good luck. Thank, Thank you. you.